0: For the week of December 15th, 2019, this is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. This week we are going to discuss the Mandalorian chapter six, the Prisoner, and Star Wars Resistance season two, episode nine, the Vox Vortex Five Thousand. And to help me with all this is John. John, how are you doing?
1: Doing okay. I am a, a sucker for some space race, so uh, yeah, I, I'm actually a little bit more excited to talk about Resistance this week. But I mean, we've got plenty of Mandalorian to get into too. So this is all good this week. I'm I'm excited to break it all down.
0: Well, let's go ahead and get into this discussion of *A Mandalorian Chapter 6, The Prisoner. This episode was directed by Rick Famuyiwa, and in an attempt to collect more credits, Mando accepts a job from some old colleagues to rescue a Republic prisoner. Mando does not get along well with his temporary team and finds out that they, too, have their own secrets.
1: Mm. Um, um, um.
0: so, we get introduced to quite a few characters here in uh, chapter six. Uh, we get kind of a fun little uh, spin off episode, which I think might tie nicely together by the end of this season. But basically, the Razor Crest is why the Mando gets this job, but only if a droid can pilot it. So we learn very quickly that uh, Mando does not get along well with droids.
1: I think we already knew that, right? We, we kind of know a bit of his origin story and his early life trauma seemed to have happened during the clone wars mm-hmm. at the hands of some super battle droids. So yeah, we, we already know that he's not particularly fond of droids. And, um, one of his cohorts even says, you know, like you might as well come along. There's going to be lots of droids and you still got to, still got to beef with them droids. So yeah, that that's, that's something we've known for a while. And obviously, you know, <laughs> he's more than eager to, uh, take point whenever they encounter droids during this particular mission. So, uh, that that certainly is in line with the character that they've already established for him
0: and and i definitely feel like his his parenting skills has gotten a little bit better in, in the sense that he's uh you know he's trying to keep uh baby yodel <laughs> kind of hidden away there and sure. <laughs> just bad luck occurs i mean what you what are you going to do i mean you need you need to find a place to lay low to make some money so you can get to your location I mean, we don't know what he's going through here, uh, as far as how much money he actually has. We know it's, it's definitely limited supply, but he goes after, um, some nice little scum again to, hmm. to get some job done.
1: Yeah. He must be pretty desperate for a job at this point. You get the impression since we've had, I, I think three episodes in a row that are all essentially just him trying to make bank mm-hmm. to give himself some, some options and they never seem to work out quite right. Um. I don't know if he really has a game plan. If he really knows what his next move is. Uh, y- yeah. You don't, you don't really um, see him heading towards anything in particular. Like it doesn't, they haven't revealed that there's any end game for him. Like he knows what he wants to do with baby Yoda and he just needs some money to pull it off. Like they, they haven't said anything about any of that. So we just have to presume that he's an over his head. Like he didn't really think through what the implications were of going and rescuing this little Yoda. And now he's just kind of. Taking it one day at a time. We need some money. We need some fuel. We need to, you know, just get through another day. Where's a safe harbor? And unfortunately, for all of his shortcomings as a parent, uh, I have to say, uh, his associates <laughs> and the people that he decides to run back to in this episode, uh, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think this was a great parenting move. I, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think you put your kids in, in the midst of, of this kind of crazy. Um, and obviously, you know, some, some followed, uh, occurs be- because of maybe his short sightedness going back to his old crew. Though, obviously some excitement along the way. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I think it's improved. I don't think, I still think he's (laughs) a father of the year material here.
1: I'm just, I'm just going to leave it, leave it with this. (laughs) How many times has baby Yoda been in the crosshairs at this point? Oh, every episode. Yeah. So I don't think we can really give him high marks. There's (laughs) gotta be a better way to keep this little, uh, frog child hidden. If all it takes is one, you know, awkward mash of a control pad for the door to fly up. And the second that Bill Burr picks up your little yodeling, (laughs) is that not where you draw the line and say, nope. And, you know, just clean house. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, as a, as a parent, um, I, I think like the hairs on the back of my neck were kind of going up in that scene. Like, no, 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 no. There's a line. You guys, you guys can screw with me and see if, you know, I, I've got criminal chops, but you don't mess with my kid. Like, (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, so uh, I had some some high emotions watching that particular scene especially when baby Yoda ends up flying out of his arms and mm-hmm. bouncing along the floor. I'm like, "Oh, jeez." Yeah. Jeez.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh you know, he's definitely not he's not having an easy road here. I mean, it's a little difficult when your dad's a bounty hunter and you're just kind of mm-hmm. moving along with them. Yeah.
1: Just making it up as you go, which is which is kind of part of the charm of all this. Like at the end of it, you know, Mando looks over at Baby Yoda and says, I told you that was going to be a bad idea, and hands mm-hmm. him the little ball. And, yep. you know, you, you just kind of get it. They're they're in it together. Mm-hmm. And uh for better or worse, they they know that there's gonna be a few bumps along the road and they accept yeah. that. So yeah, they they kind of wink at that a little bit in the closing scene too.
0: Well, we get another theme of some comedians showing up in this Mm -hmm. episode, so I I definitely think this is going to be throughout the the series here, at least season one. Sure, I mean, it's been just about every single episode we get some other comedians showing up, but I was actually really impressed that uh, you had Bill Burr show up and wasn't really a comic relief. He's kind of the more the serious hot shot, like the big guns of it, Um, and his character is Mayfield, who's. An imperial uh, sharpshooter, or a former imperial sharpshooter, not a stormtrooper. Not he a stormtrooper. Perfectly clear. <laughs> I loved some of the quips in this episode. So the mm-hmm. first one, when Mando <laughs> makes a comment about him being an imperial sharpshooter, of, well, that doesn't say much because, of course, if you've been involved in Star Wars, you know <laughs> that these stormtroopers have terrible aim. I mean, that's a running joke throughout the the entire saga, and. Then the fact that Bird gets mad and said, Hey, I'm not a stormtrooper. Okay. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I just liked it. All of that. And then, of course, you have when Mayfield looks at the Razor Crest as looks like a Canto Bite uh, slot machine. I mean, mm-hmm. this week in our episode, we get two, two. Canto yes, Bite yes. references. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm eating that stuff up. I laughed really hard uh, just about that. But yeah, we uh, I I was actually really impressed by Bill Burr's uh, just overall acting and the way he executed this character, because whenever I heard he was showing up in this episode, I was uh, not necessarily worried, but I was thinking, okay, this is going to be like the comic relief of the show. Mm -hmm. But it it really wasn't. He was a was kind of a badass in this one.
1: Yeah. So Bill Burr, I think, is the first time that they've really got the comedian casting, right. As much as I love Horatio Sands and Amy Sedaris, there was something very tonally off Mm -hmm. about how they were weaved into their respective episodes. Whereas Bill Burr, he already has the persona of a, you know, a, a no BS badass, you know, Bostonian brawler kind of persona. So he's already got a bit of edge just in real life. And people already understand that about him. Plus he proved himself on breaking bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, so. He's a little bit more proven and I think maybe a little more accepted by the prestige TV community, uh, you know, who are also looking very forward to Giancarlo Esposito showing up Mm -hmm. because of, you know, what they, they know these, uh, actors are capable of from Breaking Bad. So I wasn't quite as hesitant when I heard that he was casted after seeing, you know, the other comedians, I, I wanted to see what he could bring because I knew that he could bring a different edge. And I think it, it fit perfectly for this, um, I would have liked to see them maybe do a little bit more with the character, but he definitely added a bit of panache to his lines that, uh, yeah, just made the, the episode a little bit more enjoyable.
0: Yeah. And he also is kind of an object to learning a little more about Mando. I mean, we had hints before, uh, that, you know, Mando at the core of him is an honorable person. And, uh, but this kind of goes deep into, he's kind of got like the Batman code. Like, yeah, I'm not going to kill anyone. Uh, you know, that I don't really have to, and we haven't really seen him kill anyone that he hasn't had to i mean the only people that he's really off have been ones that have either crossed him or trying to kill him in return but in this one yeah that's like a zero death toll for mando i thought that was interesting
1: well, I, I think if we're going to do a little bit of fact checking, he, um, obliterated quite a few jawas that, you know, I don't think were <laughs> any immediate threat. Uh, and also a, a number of stormtroopers where he was invading their space and breaking mm-hmm. their agreement. Like, I mean, he's not always on the right side of these issues and he has obviously been willing to, uh, break out the big guns when necessary, mm-hmm. but these are people that he had history with. There was yeah. some camaraderie as much as these guys were being total jerks to him the, the whole way through. Uh, yeah, I, he had an adjacent prison cell. And so I guess he just realized he had options and decided yeah. to, yeah, be the, be the bigger guy and not create more enemies than he needed to by maybe sicking a lot of other underworld Cretans mm-hmm. after him when they find out what he did to all of their pals. Um, yeah. So I, I was okay with the fact that he didn't, uh, get as dark (laughs) as maybe we assume the way that they cut the episode, you don't realize that he didn't actually dispatch them until, you know, the final scene, but it's nice. It does inform his character. He is desperately trying to cling to his humanity, even though he's getting sucked further and further back into the underworld, which he obviously made conscious moves to try and distance himself from. So as much as this episode was sort of a a standalone adventure of the week kind of a, a format, When you think about it and you think about what was alluded to and a little bit more of his backstory, you know, being filled in there, there's a fair bit of character development here Mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily realize because it's got so much action that's keeping you distracted. But yeah, you learn a lot more about, you know, what the Mandalorian had to climb out of as far as, you know, maybe bad life decisions or just what, you know, was thrust upon him when he was younger to get to where he was, where (laughs) effectively he, he could lead a relatively honorable life as a bounty hunter and uh yeah that's all been snatched away from him because he's got that little bit of humanity that just wouldn't let him turn baby yodel over. Um yeah, so a lot to like there as much as they didn't have to telegraph any of that. Mm-hmm. There is something for you to pick up on that I I think enriches the the character. So yeah, good on them for being able to work that in.
0: Yeah, and we got another uh interesting character as far as I think my favorite of the crew was this uh this CN. So she is really really scrappy uh she's not sure. she's not a nice person in general and she likes kind of toying with mando yeah
1: she's twilight harlequin that's what she is
0: oh yeah that that's a, that's very accurate for <laughs> that's her exactly what she is
1: like from the the glances and the playfulness and then the, also the just kind of like the showing her teeth like mm-hmm. you, you understand that there's some Yeah, there's some real darkness and aggression, you know, under the surface there with her that she, you know, she shows throughout the episode. Um, Yeah, that was the immediate connection. I'm like, yeah, I I totally understand who this character Mm -hmm. is and uh, fits the genre quite nicely.
0: So Sia knows how deadly the Mandalorian can be, but yet she still just goes along with this plan. Like, yeah, what could go wrong?
1: Uh, Well, you get a sense that there's uh, a death wish kind of level of recklessness with Mm -hmm. this crew. They never present any of them as being particularly contemplative Mm -hmm. or there's no chess players on this team. You know, like these are just brutes when it comes right down to it and they're dishonorable brutes. They never paint them as, uh, anyone that would make a pragmatic choice. Mm -hmm. It's pure aggression. It's pure emotion. Like, and and I think eventually that proves to be all of their downfall, right? Like they just don't think far enough ahead to not be screwing this up at every turn. And, um, I, I, I think she's really no, no different in that regard. And I think that's why maybe it didn't occur to her that even though she knows what he's capable of, uh, you know, maybe it's not a great idea to bring him along. He could be as much of a liability if he's not down the clown, you know, with, with kind of how we want to roll on this mission. Um, yeah, there, there's more than a few contrivances and, and odd character motivations in this. And, uh, I was struggling a bit with them and that was one of them is just how many bad strategic decisions the crew makes along the way and how they're right out of the gate intentionally trying to, you know, bully and create a problem with one of the members of the team. I get that there has to be proving like in all the heist movies and, you know, the wild bunch type stuff, like we kind of know what we're looking at when we see this, uh, we'll call it, you know, a a heist or let's, you know, spring our buddy from the pokey kind of, uh, story. But in most of those types of stories, the gang will test and chide the new member to see if they can you know, roll with them. But once that's established, then it's like, okay, we're thick as thieves. You know, now we're all kind of honor bound to not double cross each other because we've got a mission to do. So, you know, for the duration of the mission, we all got to stick to the plan. And, and there's a, a bit more of a code and some, some measure of honor between the members of the team. Cause they know they can't really go into a life or death situation if everybody's watching their back and nobody can function because they think, you know, the next double cross is just around the corner. So I was really struggling with the fact that they made these characters so one dimensional right out of the gate that you never think that they've got a camaraderie with the Mandalorian or that everyone's on the same page. They're butting heads from the second he steps off his ship and that didn't make for the most compelling, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, unfolding of the story. I think it would have made more sense if they had established that. And then at a certain point when the double cross happens, it hits us harder and it's more bewildering and the Mandalorian has to really figure out in the moment how to deal with an unexpected situation rather than he's just, he knew this was kind of (laughs) coming, you know? Uh, so I had a little bit of trouble with that, but the episode was so exciting and had so much, you know, fun stuff going on that I have to forgive that that's, we've kind of seen that this series, uh, it will play a little fast and loose with that. It isn't quite what I would call like the breaking bad level of let's really pour over the story and, and break it so meticulously that it's unquestionable. Like the character's motivations always square. When you watch it a second or third time, this show isn't quite at that level, but it kind of can't be because it's, you know, a space adventure and you, you want to have that action. And sometimes you gotta, (laughs) you you gotta mess with, with the character's motivations a little bit to get there. I just really couldn't get past how, uh, one dimensional they kind of came across and how I would have liked sort of a, a richer dynamic between them that then goes South when they choose to make the double cross. Anyways.
0: (laughs) That's my grape. I think my favorite part of this episode was just the way that the the final act of this episode was kind of mm-hmm. cut. So the way that it was cut is, of course, you know, kind of showing the, uh, you know, the, the parallels between Zero discovering Yodel and trying to figure out where he's mm-hmm. hiding the ship. And then also yeah. Mando's hunt where he's hunting down the rest of these. Uh, the rest of his team members and slowly kind of taking them down one at a time.
1: Yeah, pure Dark Knight efficiency. Like there's exactly. something that harkens very much back to the Christopher Nolan Batmans there
0: yeah well especially whenever uh you have kind of uh bill burr's character doesn't know where he is and then as the lights are flashing you see him you see the mando Mm kind of oh yeah the strobe and he's getting
1: closer with with Mm -hmm. each flash yeah that's oh that's that's some fun cinema right there
0: yeah and it was just really neat because i think we're going like we're collecting all of this knowledge about mando and about how deadly he is because you know of course we we get introduced his character and he's already an established bounty hunter or at least going up towards that being a really great hunter really great you know killer whatever it may be he's a deadly individual and i think we're gonna see all this kind of come back around and and see him uh do do all this stuff again use all of his weapons that's in his artillery and uh and hopefully it's against the chicken man himself and we get to see you know a, a showdown
1: we got two episodes left they they have to have some sort of like penultimate and then ultimate like back-to-back finale, we got to get back into some kind of storyline that's going to take us to the next level. Uh, because we've had a lot of these missions of the week. I I don't call them filler episodes per se, because we do get a little bit of character growth in each one. And I think this is what the show was actually shooting for. I think they wanted it to be quasi serial in that, you know, there is a storyline that will unfold throughout the season, but much like Western fair of old, there is the adventure of the week. You know, he shows up in a new town and there's new drama, you know, like a new problem to solve. Um, so I'm starting to get that. And since my expectations are now kind of brought back in line to where the, you know, John Favreau and, and Filoni's thinking was at when they were figuring out how these episodes were going to unfold, I'm warming up to it. Uh, I just, uh, coming into it, I thought it was going to be such a serialized show yeah. that it was a little frustrating when they did get into that mode, that adventure of the week mode, but Hey, uh, that is the nature of television. And because, you know, the show isn't exactly what I envisioned, not knowing anything about it, you know, before we saw it, I can't count that against it. Mm -hmm. I just really hope that they, uh, pull off a a grand finale here. They've got two episodes. So we're assuming there's got to be an hour plus left to see. And I just, yeah, I hope they really knock our socks off.
0: Well, this will be kind of the final nail in the coffin for those, uh, it's not a Western doubters. Sure. Because, yes. <laughs> because, you know, these final two episodes, if it's anything like, you know, the Westerns of, of the sixties, then mm-hmm. the heavy is probably going to be part of both of them and it might be kind of a two the the last two chapters of the season ending with this heavy and we know he's coming i mean they've in so much there's no way he's just going to show up in the last you know two minutes of the show unless it's really planning on ending on quite the cliffhanger going into season two
1: yeah i'm kind of scared that it might be that yeah (laughs) you know all we've seen are the boots of the mysterious guy that's on his tail um, with two episodes left and with the fact that we know that it's renewed for a second season mm-hmm. and it was a foregone conclusion, even before these drop that the second season was in production. I wonder if maybe the original storyline that Favreau came up with mm-hmm. was a two season arc yeah. and they really are just going to leave us on the reveal of John Carlo Esposito. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe have, you know, a confrontation with him, but very much, uh, he gets away at the last minute and now we know that the, the stakes are higher or whatever that could be where we end up. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Well, we'll certainly find out uh, in, in short order here.
0: And you can never it put it past the uh, Favreau's writing style. I mean, he wrote these as chapters. That's an obvious thing that we get right. from every single episode. So he may have just written out, you know, basically a novel and of sorts where it's just chapter by chapter. And they looked at it and be like, okay, well, this would be a good spot to end season one. Sure. So yeah, it could very well do that. And then, um, you, you know, Who knows? And I might be left uh, with a a year or more of stressing out over baby Yoda with, uh, with the chicken man. Well, the one thing we know is
1: that the higher ups at Disney and Lucasfilm saw this quite a while back, whether Mm -hmm. it was just in script form or, you know, as they were editing these down or whatever, they knew that they had a strong enough show that it could be the tentpole to launch Disney plus they would not have done that. If they could have forecasted any kind of audience disappointment with where the first season was going to let off. And I think if they did get any inkling that maybe this wasn't going to be a slam dunk by the time we got to the end of the first season, they would have gone to Favreau and said, Look, we got so much riding on this. We got to punch this up. So I think whatever decisions had to be made to give us a big finale here were made a long time ago. And I, I'm relatively confident we're getting more than just a cliffhanger and Hey, wait, you know, another eight months and we'll let you know <laughs> what's really going on with, with the Mandalorian. So, uh, I am very optimistic. I am so excited to get back to our a plot, uh, much like my gripe with, uh, resistance. Uh, I just, I really want to see where it's all going. And, uh, I hope the next week starts to really set the table for the, the big finale there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we had a great uh, yodel moment where he's, you know, about to use the force to protect himself. And <laughs> yes. there's a blast that goes through and he kind of <laughs> looks at his hand like, oh, well, that's not how the force works.
1: Yeah. He he turns his hand back to him like, did I do that? No, I, I don't think I have that particular power. That was a cute little moment. Um, there were a lot of really, really fun moments and callbacks without this episode being really heavy handed fan service, kind of like the last mm-hmm. episode was though yeah. I enjoyed it. You know, going back to Tatooine is, is fun for a fan that can pick out all the little Easter eggs. But in this episode, they, they turned a few little gags on their head, like the Yoda using the force last time he did it. He actually, you know, raised a, a mud horn off the ground and you realize he, he has some serious power for a little Yodling. in this episode, you know, they undercut it there and mm-hmm. turn it into a little bit of comic relief. When Mando is fighting the devil brute, mm-hmm. they do the rancor gag where he knows that he's out muscled by this guy, but the guy is underneath the, the door. Yep. So <laughs> instead of trying to, you know, go mano a mano with him, he throws something at the control panel, drops the door on him. And you think that's the end of it. Like it was with the rancor and you're like, okay, fun callback. But then you see. Devil brute lift the door up on his shoulders, and you realize, no, no, he's not going to get away with it that easy. Mm. And then they take it a step further because we know that all doors have a second level yeah. to them. They have the blast door, right? That shooshes in even quicker and is a, an even more dense metal and more powerful actuators forcing it closed. So, then, so then you know, just when you think the the Mando's numbers up and that gag isn't going to get results for him, he hits the blast door and it looks like it just takes the guy's face right off. Um, at the end we, uh, we see him in the pen. So we know that it didn't do him in, but it did take off his horns. Yep. (laughs) So, the fact that they, they used these established star Wars tropes, turn them on their head and used them not only for comic relief, but almost for a little bit of badassery mm-hmm. that, that, that to me was the moment in the episode where I really like was applauding. Like, yeah, well done. Creative, yeah. good uses of your sets. Uh, yeah. High marks on that one. And they had a few other ones and yeah. you know, they goof on Gungans a little bit too. So there's, there's a lot of, a lot of fun, unexpected moments in this episode.
0: Yeah. And, and, uh, we had also quite the guest appearances here. Mm, so, of course, we talked yeah. about Bill Burr, who's uh, has a history and some comedy. And then we have uh, Richard Aiuti, and he's, of course, uh, in comedy and has done quite a few things and done a lot of voice acting because he's got he's got quite the quite the voice for it. And so he's, right. of course, a voice of Zero. We talked about Natalia Tina and then Clancy Brown, uh, Mark Boone Jr., who mm-hmm. I was uh, a little shocked to see. And I wonder if he's actually... You know, dead, or if he got away in an escape pod from the end there, where Mando finally turned it all on his head. Sure. Uh, Because, I mean, that he's just, he's great in everything he does. Kind of plays the same character, or at least a very similar character. Uh, But the thing that shocked me was we got television's Anakin Skywalker, Matt Lanter. Now, (laughs) that, (laughs) man, so the first seed that we get, or the only seed we get with him, where he's kind of this, this, this rebel, or not rebel, Republic officer, and. He kind of gets he kind of gets killed off there pretty quick.
1: Yeah, it's not uh, a particularly glorious or heroic role. Um mm. he is in the midst of one of the most awkward like 12-person Mexican standoffs. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's willing to take a shot uh until uh you know Twilight Harlequin uh does him in there. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot to say about him. Like it's, it's fun that they're bringing in people that are familiar to the like hardcore fandom that actually can put faces to the voice actors names. But you know, what else can you say? (laughs) It was, it was not, you know, the, the most glorious or important role to, to the whole thing. Uh, I will say that the new Republic outfits, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm loving that blue. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't command like authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it when I saw that, it, there was something about that command room that felt a little TV, like maybe mm-hmm. it's just how it was lit. Maybe it's the fact that his uniform was so, I don't know, almost like dainty by star Wars standards. Like it just, yeah, it, it wasn't, yeah. To me, it wasn't an imposing thing for someone who, uh, is kind of the, the last line of defense on a cargo ship full of the worst ruffians in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something about that, uh, didn't play well for me. Um, But hey, whatever, they couldn't use the exact same outfits that you had in the rebellion days. You know that a little bit of time has passed and new governments would set up. I understand why they had to mix things up a little bit. Yeah, I just wouldn't have gone quite without blue.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, we get the X-Wing pilots at the end. Yes. uh, That, of course, are played by Filoni, uh, Famiiwa, and then uh, Deborah Chow are just the ones commanding the X-Wing pilots. The only director that has been left out was... uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, I think, because I think all the other ones got, got their moment. Well, I, I
1: think she might be a little more recognizable yeah. on screen, uh, and I'm sure she's actually you know off doing other high-profile Bryce Dallas Howard type things when she's not doing Star Wars. Um, I gotta say, every single one of them belongs behind the camera. <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, they they do not have the ability to really sell lines the way that a, a trained professional does especially feloni as fun as it was to see him you know the second he comes up I'm like oh great you know yeah. Dave feloni you get your moment in live action fun um but yeah yeah really really corny delivery there on feloni's part but x-wings and x-wing pilots and you know explosions uh fun way to cap the episode i I was fine with the little double cross there at the end where mando puts the tracker on him i thought that that was a great way to leave it he understood from spending any amount of time with the crew that he had been double crossed from the beginning there was no way that the crew would have done that without his old friends say so because his friend says hey if bill burr says it assume it's coming from me. Like they were all in on it. And you know, because you know, after Mando flies away, he's like, shoot him. So Mando was wise that this double cross went all the way to the top, so it's totally fitting that he wanted to get the last laugh there. Uh I really like that. I thought that was fun and I will applaud anytime the X Wings come in to save the
0: day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh and then we have Mando giving uh Yodel of course the choking hazard metal ball again. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) it's Just kind of yeah. your off.
1: your theory of his parenting skills improving. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see a whole lot of evidence of it in this episode.
0: Yeah. Well, Hey, he can swallow a frog hole. So maybe the little ball won't do anything. Uh,
1: but. <laughs> He's an indulgent daddy. There's something to be yeah. said about a dad that just can't stand to not give his kids everything they ask for his heart's in the right place. I, I think he just, yeah, he needs to go to
0: parenting class. Yeah, that is for sure. Uh, well, are you ready to get into this episode of resistance?
1: Yeah, we might as well. Lighthearted fun. Uh, Yeah. Set it up.
0: What do we got? So we have Star Wars Resistance Season 2, Episode 9, The Vox Vortex 5000. With the Colossus still short on credits and supplies, Hype proposes that Doza allows the Aces to travel to... Frankie's Hotel and Casino to compete in a race that might get them the credits to support the Colossus. However, Frankie has his own proposal. If Hype wins the race, Frankie will give him the desired credits, but if he loses, he must stay at Frankie's Casino and race exclusively for him. Mm Alright, so, we have... Frankie's Hotel and Casino. Whenever they first said this, I'm like, okay, are we going back to Canto Byte? You know, are hmm. we going back to Space Vegas? But of course, we don't. Uh, if Canto Byte is Space Vegas, this has to be kind of Space Reno. It's a little bit smaller, not as yeah, many people there. Space Atlantic City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we get, uh, we get, get, we get Frankie's Hotel and Casino. So what do you think of kind of this setup and having a hut back in the animation world here?
1: Oh, makes total sense. Uh, we know that the reach of the huts extends far and wide. If anyone is up on their godfather, they know that the less savvy and capable members of the family get shuffled off to run a casino in in some backwater. Uh, you know, they get the inconsequential jobs. Um, So, yeah, I I figure this is the Fredo of the Hut Clan, and it makes total sense. You know, gangsters they establish the casinos. This all tracks. And huts are fun. I, I like seeing them. Even you know the that weird one with the Louisiana accent from uh, from the Clone Wars movie. Mm-hmm. I, I do just enjoy kind of understanding a bit more of why people understand when you say hut mm-hmm. that these are the kingpins. These are the Godfathers. Yep. So yeah, I was cool with that.
0: And uh, of course, Frankie does all what huts do, and he he ends up cheating in the race. uh, Sure. And then here's the thing, though, about this, and this is kind of the... Interesting thing about, you know, this lesser godfather is that, of course, he's gonna, he thinks he's, he's got it one. He thinks he's got everything in the bag. So he thinks he can just keep collecting these pilots and, and then eventually collecting an entire ship for himself. So he just keeps going and going. Uh, But yeah, he's, he's racing these droids against uh, Hype and the other aces. And yeah, it was, it was really neat to kind of see, like you were saying, just uh, the aces doing what aces do. Um, I had a lot of fun with this one, even though Uh, It kind of went, it went with the same uh, kind of layout that we've been criticizing Mm -hmm. for the past, you know, five episodes where it doesn't really (laughs) move the story forward. But this was just more fun. In my opinion, I had way more fun with this one.
1: Yeah. The second we get that opening scene. Oh, you know what? We need supplies. We need money. (laughs) Uh, I was thinking, oh no, we're, yeah, we're, we're not going to be seeing Tam this episode, Mm -hmm. but to their credit, this was fun. It was reasonably original as far as settings. And we haven't had a whole lot of, you know, dog fights and races and just, you know, that, that fun whiz bang stuff that you need a little bit of in this series. We've been kind of late on that in season two. So this was okay. And it was reasonably competent as far as just being able to follow, you know, the progression of the story and understand the characters. And I I felt like it worked for some reason. It was probably just because we had so much time zipping in between meteors that, that that to me is going to carry an episode a lot further than maybe like the, the relic one, yeah. you know, that, that doesn't quite have as much exciting, stimulating stuff. Like I I wouldn't see a, a Sith cave of horrors to be quite as stimulating as what we got here with, yeah. you know, with the ships and then the reveal of the vulture droids and uh, all of the double crosses in space. Like it just, it kept a good tension for as silly as it really was. The fact that they would ever keep upping their wager, you know, when the house always wins and the, believing that somehow they could get the upper hand. And it was, it was totally dumb that they would ever just double down on their bet and double down on their bet, and double down on their bet. But, uh, obviously we knew they were going to win the day and, uh, they did. So yeah, this, this was fun. Uh, silly. I, I have so little to say about how this, you know, has any great depth or moves the story along or there, there's, there's really nothing here that I, I can go deep on other than just to say, yeah, this, this was a fun one, but just really want to know (laughs) what's happening with Tam. That's, that's really my only critique. It was fun, but it wasn't what I really wanted to see.
0: Yeah, I mean it it was fun for me cuz of course whenever we first heard about this show this is what we were expecting more of is is having the aces behind their uh behind you know the the wheel in the cockpit of their yeah. of their ships and and flying around and racing and and doing a whole bunch of stuff kind of showing off their skills uh and and so I think that's why I liked it more than the than the past few um and then, of course, it, it for I'm used to this now. So I'm used to Star Wars Resistance doing this. And so I was. Uh, this was more entertaining for me because I just like that more. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I still am wondering what's going on. <laughs> I'm still wondering what's going on with the Resistance since it is called Star Wars Resistance and not Star Wars let's go on side adventures every week. I mean, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, another thing I really liked was that Kaz actually isn't doing normal Kaz stuff. He's not making the mistakes. He's actually, he's actually very competent in this episode.
1: Well, except for one thing, he's the one that proposes to Doza that they can pull it off because he's got an ace up his sleeve mm-hmm. because he knows that Niku can effectively hack the game because of the video games that he's been playing off in the corner. When he went to Doza and pitched that and put it all on the line, put the whole station on the line over it. Mm-hmm. He didn't really know that Niku could pull anything off or that they could, when, when they said hack, I thought he meant like hack into the system and make the droids dumb or something like,
0: right. I did too.
1: Yeah. Or do something to really give them an edge, not just, you know, watch it on a screen. And because he's so good at the video game now, he kind of can anticipate what the robots are going to do. So that's kind of flimsy, kind of flimsy that, you know, he, he would go out on a limb like that. But since we know Kaz kind of. You know, does he, he doesn't always think before he jumps. Um, at least this time it turned in their favor. It wasn't, it wasn't the thing that, you know, created all the chaos of the episode. They were already in over their heads and this was just kind of a hail Mary that worked for whatever reason. So I guess, yeah, sometimes Kaz's silliness saves the day and sometimes it causes more drama than it's worth.
0: Yeah, and and what I thought, which was confusing at the end, is so the the slot machine, the slot racer, whatever you want to call right. it, like that that racing that virtual racing game. I thought that that you know when they noticed like, oh hey, that's actually the same exact track that's out there. So I thought that they were going to hack into the individual droid racers and control them using that yeah. that game. But that's not yeah. at all what they did. Uh, and they didn't really do anything other than predict what was coming after them. And then it wasn't until the end that that Nico was able by chance to... Uh, to turn off that final checkpoint to where the weapons weren't shooting at him but that's that's about it i thought it was going to be completely different we were going to have nico controlling some some droid planes but you know <laughs> it was it was a success in the end so i mean i, I guess the plan by that hell mary it worked out it, it was it was tipped around a bit but the the right team caught the ball and and you got a touchdown from it. but that's about it
1: i think what might have been going on or maybe what I wasn't quite picking up on was that Niku did actually like patch into the race grid Mm -hmm. and he could have stopped like the mines and he could have stopped some of the other hijinks from happening, but because he had the salacious crumbs on him, he didn't really get his hand over onto the control pad to do anything to help Kaz out until the last second. Right. So maybe everything was going according to plan until the salacious crumbs get wise and jump them and distract them for the, you know, the back half of that race. Maybe that's it. I don't know. It was a little muddy, you know, how they, how they kind of explained what the plan was and really what the ACE up their sleeve was. So, um, yeah, can't give them high marks for that, but this whole episode, like, like we said, we don't have to. Uh, beat a dead horser. it all hangs on the fun zipping around in space and add a lot of that and as a contrived excuse to get us to that point I was I was good on that I was I was happy to
0: see it yeah uh, I mean I'm curious to see where this is all going, how they're going to tie it all together. Um, I think that, and we've talked about this all the time, but I, I'm I'm quite confident that this is going to be tied together, and we're going to get that. We're going to get back to the Tam storyline, and we're going to have a conclusion to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my only worry is that the conclusion is going to be. Uh, within 22 minutes, we're going to see Tam after not seeing her for a while. And in 22 minutes, she's going to be back on board on the Colossus and helping them out. And so it might feel a little rushed, but then again, you know, we had some, uh, some children's fair going on. Um, but yeah, I, I really want to see them reporting for duty in that final battle because I think that's where they're going.
1: Yep. Yeah. I hope we at least get a, a, like a two episode again, sort of like what I said with Mandalorian, Mm -hmm there has to be more than just like, let's tack this on to the end so that we've got somewhere to go for season three. Well, they're not really worried about that with, uh, <laughs> with resistance anyways, but yeah, I want, I want them to go out on a bang. I want them to really bring it home. Uh, I trust that, you know, Dave Filoni is still shepherding this to the extent that he can be thinking consciously about mm-hmm. making sure that there's a satisfying conclusion there and that they really, uh, do something meaningful with the storylines that they've set up. I hope to see that. I, I really do. Um, if we don't get it you know, Oh, well, maybe they were originally anticipating a third season for this. And so they aren't shooting too high and we're just going to get what we get. I hope that's not the case. Um, yeah, but yeah, we'll find out in a few weeks.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and we know this, uh, this is the final season for it. And of course, if Filoni is going to treat this like any other of his properties, we're going to get quite the, uh, at least for this standard, quite, I think it's going to be a good finale, good, uh, tie, just nice little bow tied on it. But you know, Hey, who knows, uh, how exactly it's going to go down, I just, I'm hopeful for, for the finale here.
1: Yeah. Rebels set a a pretty high standard for where star Wars animation is supposed to be at. Mm -hmm. I would hate for this to kind of go down in history as sort of the, the black mark on like an otherwise, uh, good reputation that star Wars animation has. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I, I think that you have to be forgiving because of the audience that they're targeting, but We've said many times over that this show surprises and it has a bit more depth than the themes that they delve into, you know, when they are exploring the first order and giving us a few insights on the ideology of the first order and how they manipulated the station and insinuated their, their way onto it in the first season. Like there was a lot of really good meaty stuff in there. Um, I, I want that to be the narrative for this show when it ends, I want it to be the best kept secret. And star Wars animation, like, Hey guys, I know that everyone wrote this off because they thought it was just going to be silly, lighthearted kids fair, but you know what? It's a fun ride. And mm. they actually, you know, dig into some, some meaty stuff, go give it a shot. That's what I want to be able to say when it concludes and balls in their court, you know, yep. um, <laughs> there's still time. I just, I really hope that they've got something good cooking.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of things, good cooking, we are, uh, we are under a week away from the conclusion of the Skywalker saga, like this is true. holy cow! The next episode we we record possibly is going to be we're, we're already going to have seen it. It's it's uh it's an insane kind of fair that that's going on here. Mm-hmm. It's 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 crazy. Are you excited for this movie as much as I am?
1: I am obviously. You know, we've talked ad nauseum. <laughs> you know about our theories for it, and you know the excitement that we have. That hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is that. The marketing campaign for this is a little different than what they've done in past Mm -hmm. years. They've been releasing these little snippets and each one of them kind of has a different theme and they've been doing it pretty much daily or even a couple times daily. Um, and they all have maybe three or four seconds of new footage in them, but they're really starting to paint a much better picture than the original trailers did about what we should expect. And on top of that, they've released a couple one to two minute sort of mini trailers as well, like Mm -hmm. web only exclusive trailers that really reveal a lot about Mm -hmm sort of where Kylo's at and the emperor and you know there's there's some meaty stuff in there that maybe purists that really don't want to know anything about the movie that don't don't go seek these out yeah. um cuz they they are like almost a couple full scenes from the movie yeah. um but because I've seen those and because we've had so many of these little spots like you know 30 maybe 40 of them at this point um I think I've got a pretty good beat on what we're in for it looks like it's going to be basically wall-to-wall action like they visit so many worlds and the battles are so like epic and scale, it, it, it looks like it's going to be an Avengers, uh, end game kind of a thing. Like it, it does look like this is the star war to end all star wars. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, if they deliver on that, you know, if, if they can walk that line between nostalgia and going big and still maintaining the heart and giving the characters satisfying conclusions to their arcs, if JJ Abrams can walk all those lines, man. This, this could be a a huge, huge movie and, uh, oh, I mean, I've, I've already got my tickets bought, so Mm -hmm. I know they're going to cross a billion, but I would, if man, if it delivers, I I could definitely see it being in, in a top five of all time, kind of a situation right up there with, you know, where the force awakens was and avatar and, you know, so many of the other greats. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, even though I've I've kind of been, I've been keeping up with these things and, and my first reaction, especially with this Kylo Ren uh, mm. web one was, I'm like, oh my gosh, that revealed so much. But then it I really go... really didn't though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because then I go, wait, I've kind of already had that in the back of my head. Like, that was yeah. a theory of mine that, uh, so obviously, like, there's no way I'm the only one that has that theory. So I'm not claiming to be this, this genius that is like, yep, I told you so. But yeah, it was one of those things where it ended. I go, oh man, that like revealed so much but then i go wait it only revealed things that i was expecting yeah. and yet revealed nothing
1: <laughs> it's perfect teasing because it pulls you into the world right like so much of it is just kylo walking through some stuff, you know, and you're just taking it in going, Oh, he's, he's at the place. And then you get just the the faintest hint of, you know, who he's approaching uh, at the very end. So as much as it paints a pretty compelling picture and it, it does tie into a lot of what we've already been speculating, it doesn't give away too much. And I love that they're walking that line. Yeah. They're, they're not, they're, they're not tipping their hand. We don't know exactly what the ending is uh, you know at least if we're steering clear of some of the spoilers and, and leaks and stuff that are out there uh, i at least don't know how this is all coming to a head this just uh yeah it paints a, a good picture of some of the fun places we're going to go and kind of where kylo's at he's uh he definitely doesn't seem to be embracing the light <laughs> that's that's as much as i can say about what that that clip seems to reveal
0: yeah, he's he's digging really deep into that, into that Sith nature here. It doesn't yeah, look he's- like he's going after, uh, you know, we don't know how it's going to go. We don't know if he's going to have a, a split, if he's going to be pulled between the light and the dark in this one, whatever it is. But at least from the trailers we've had, he is pretty committed and finding some ancient artifacts that are very Sith-based and, in my opinion, are going to be centered around making him more powerful rather than... Uh, rather than a sacrifice for all, you never know how it's going to end. He is a Skywalker. So, you know, you never know. Uh, but no, at this point
1: in the movie, it definitely looks like he's trying to level up. Mm -hmm. We'll see how that goes for him.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I'm super excited about it. I got my tickets purchased. I'm going as soon as I can. I'm going on Thursday night. I'm watching it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'll be seeing it soon
1: enough, but not Thursday night, unfortunately, because I'm, uh, I'm going to be heading to New York Wednesday. Mm -hmm. I originally had tickets for Thursday night, but I switched them out because I want to see it with my wife and, uh, that's not going to happen while I'm on the road. I got too many things on the go, so I'm going to be seeing it early next week. Um, But because it's the holidays and our schedules are all screwy anyways, we're not going to be able to regroup and Mm -hmm. talk about it until after we both kind of get back from our Mm -hmm. respective holiday travels. So we might as well do a little PSA and just, uh, you know, let the audience know what they can expect. Um, Mm -hmm. so if I understand you correctly, you're heading out almost immediately after you see the rise of Skywalker. Uh, we're not going to have a chance to record next Friday. Mm -hmm. So this is our last pre Christmas podcast. Is that
0: correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm out Saturday morning. Um, yeah.
1: So then the next episode of the Mandalorian, I think is actually dropping a couple of days early. I think it's dropping mm-hmm. on Wednesday, but I'm going to be on the road. Like I'll, I'll be getting into New York on Wednesday mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't think there's any point in trying to like do a podcast from a hotel room or something like that. Like, right. um, as much fun as it would be to get our coverage out right away. We know that everyone's going to be clamoring for Rise of Skywalker and then you've got Christmas and then you've got everybody going out and shopping. So we we know that everything goes topsy turvy for the last couple of weeks of December. So we're not in a rush. What we are going to do is as soon as both of us are back, which is going to be very late December and into early January, we're going to regroup. We're going to do justice to everything that came out. We're probably going to do like, you know, uh, two different properties per cast and we'll get all caught up and so by, you know, early to mid-January when all these shows are done and all these movies are out and everything's kind of, uh, you know, just out there for people to absorb, uh, we'll be caught up on our coverage and, you know, hopefully that works for everyone's timelines. It's yeah. the best we can do, you know, because we got lives.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. will, I will be keeping up on Twitter at star Wars TV talk. So, you know, you can follow it there and I can promise you so, so much that, uh, you know, we will get into, get into the, this stuff. We will get into the reviews. You will hear our, the star Wars TV talk podcast, take on, uh, the the final episode of Mandalorian and then of course the rise of Skywalker and then uh, we got some we got some guests that we're working out some schedules with that are going to come on so I, it, it's going to be exciting and so hopefully you not getting your content from this podcast right away will be worth it in the end.
1: Yeah. There's lots of star Wars podcasts out there that will be dropping their coverage, you know, the day of, so it's not like people are going to do without, but if you like our particular takes on it, uh, you know, we'll get them out as soon as possible. So enjoy the holidays, take a load off and we'll be there for a follow up conversation as soon as everyone kind of gets back into mode.
0: Well, John, you might as well just tell them, why are you going up to New York and uh, doing some fun stuff there?
1: I am heading over to New York. Uh, they're, they're technically over from where, where I live, uh, because I'm going to be attending the, uh, mid season finale Christmas episode of SNL. It's being hosted by none other than Eddie Murphy, the show's prodigal son. Uh, he's had a long-standing beef with the show and he doesn't really show up the way that many alum do to, you know, do cameos or participate or host or whatever. But, uh, you know, he's on the, the verge of a, a little bit of a career renaissance here. And it seems like he's in a better place as far as being a little bit more humble and just mm-hmm you know, game to, to have some fun. And so, yeah, they, they've buried the hatchet. He's coming back. He's going to hopefully deliver a a great show. Uh, he's, he's considered one of the great performers to ever, uh, be on SNL and nobody knows what this episode is going to be. Uh, They just have the highest of expectations. So uh, it seemed like one that was definitely worth heading out for. So I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be putting around New York, uh, hopefully meeting up with some of our listeners and uh, catching a few other shows. There's a show uh, in the East Village called With a Little Help. It's John Belushi. I'm doing a little bit of promotion for them over on our other podcast. If anyone is into that sort of thing, it's a chronicle of Belushi's career and his early days in um, uh, National Lampoon and SNL. And uh, it's supposed to be pretty cool. It's award winning and, you know, whatever. So I'm going to be checking it out if anyone wanted to go uh see that or meet up or whatever i'm going to be there for the thursday night show and uh yeah kicking around ucb and doing some other fun stuff while i'm there so uh comedy nerds of new york by all means find us over at snl podcast if you want to come out and uh, see a show or something at the comedy cellar or ucb or in the east village or wherever we're at uh by all means we would love to meet uh any listeners that are out and about this holiday season um that's what i got cooking snlpodcast.com
0: Yeah. Well, uh, super excited for you. And I can't wait to see this, this great and anticipated uh, episode with Eddie Murphy. Uh, yeah I mean other than that our listeners you of course can leave us some feedback uh, via email at hello at StarWarsTVTalk.com you can send us your theories whatever stuff you want to talk about uh, let us know I like reading into that stuff uh, you can find the rest of our shows online at StarWarsTVTalk.com and by searching Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcast, and please leave us a review in a five star format via <laughs> iTunes that would be much appreciated uh, we are a part of the TV Talk podcast network so you can find our other TV talk podcasts at tvtalk.fm thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always